Well, before we jump into the text, I just want to say thank you for being here. It's a great privilege, great joy to uh, be in your life and for you to be here at Mercy Road Church Northwest this morning. And this is the last Sunday that we'll be in this teaching collection called Kingdom Culture. We've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, and this morning we're going to wrap it all up. Um, and it's been an amazing journey. And can we just say, say thanks to all the other communicators that have supported this Sunday morning? Thank you to Nick and, and Maddie and the other ones that have, that have supported this journey. Before I jump into the concluding passage in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, I, I need to actually teach a, a a principle that came out of the mouth of Jesus that will help us navigate the next 35, 40 minutes to really help us pick up the theme of what Jesus is, is saying here. In Acts 20, 35, the Apostle Paul reminds the new Christians, the new movement, the way, these new fresh followers of Jesus, he reminds them of something that Jesus said. Now, what's crazy about this passage is that it's actually not in the Word of God. The reference is not documented. So, this is wild. Paul is quoting Jesus, but this quote is not found anywhere else written down in the Scriptures. It reminds me of John chapter 21 when, uh, when, when uh, the, the gospel writer John says, if Jesus were to do all the things and say all the things, and all of those things were to be written down in all of the books available on planet Earth, surely not all of the pages would be able to accommodate them all. This idea that there was a lot of things that Jesus said and did that never got written down, that were never documented. Like you have a lot of conversations and you say a lot of things that you don't write down in your notes app or that you didn't put in a text message or in an email, Jesus said a lot of things and did a lot of things that were never written down, which will be really interesting one day when we get to meet him face to face. Be like, dude, what else did you do, God? Like, that'd be a really cool conversation. Well, Paul, right here in Acts 20, 35, is reminding all these new Christians that are following the way of Jesus that Jesus said this thing. Listen to what the Word of God says here in Acts 20, 35. It says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, quote, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now he's probably summarizing the Sermon on the Mount because we get a little bit of that blessed language in there. We get a little bit of that favored language in there. He's probably recapitulating or summing up this thematic idea that Jesus had in the Sermon on the Mount, but that reference actually does not exist in Scripture. What's the, big, what's the big idea here? Is that, that Jesus shared verbally with these new followers, with the Apostle Paul, with others, that it is more blessed to be the giver than it is to be the receiver. And somehow Paul remembers this and brings it up at just the right time. When all of these new Christians are now moving in the ways of the Spirit, moving in Jesus, and, and ready to take the mission to, to every community around them and, and every people group around them. And Paul is moved to remind them it's more blessed to give than to receive. The idea there from our Lord Jesus is that from his viewpoint, Jesus' viewpoint, you get more. 
out of giving than you do receiving. That's what he's saying there. That's what Paul is saying. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So Jesus knows something about the reality and the dynamics of heaven and earth that you get more out of giving than you do get out of receiving. Now, for those of you who are guests or first-time visitors this morning, and you're like, I don't usually go to church because whenever I do, the pastor just talks about giving money. Well, I want to tell you, you came on a great morning because we're talking about that this morning. (laughs) We're talking about this morning. We talk about it at least two to three times a year because whatever the church does not teach, the world teaches and teaches wrong, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to use the word of God to guide the people of God into all truth and grace, amen? And so I want you, the visitor, the guest in the room, who's like, you've got to be kidding me. I finally came out to a church service, and you're talking about money? Are you, are you serious? Well, I can't help but wonder if the Spirit of the living God is meeting you at your principal concern with the church. Do you understand? Perhaps there are people in this room who have never gotten involved in a local context or a local community because of the topic of money. Or you came from something where like, dude, I came from a church where like we found out that like the church was embezzling money or, or the pastor was doing this or doing that and there was all this like financial chaos. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to tell you that we have a very, very open financial um, approach to, to our church. And that if you ever wanted to understand how this church spends and negotiates the money that is entrusted to us and the budget breakdown and all of those things, you can, you can know that. I don't set my own salary. I don't have that power. I don't even have the power to set the staff's salaries. Those are all managed by a board of nine people. You, you must understand that some churches, some people have abused the power and trusted them on the topic of finances. And I get it. You're coming in with some baggage this morning about anything that comes with, you know, a money symbol. And you're like, no, 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 I I ain't going there. But the reason I get super pumped up about preaching and teaching about biblical finances and biblical giving is because it's almost always the last stronghold broken in someone's life. It's like, you'll trust God with like your marriage. You'll trust God with your children. You'll trust God with this. You'll trust God with that. But when it comes to money, you're like, nah, no God. Look, I saw my parents. My parents got themselves into so much, so much debt. I have got to have full control over my finances. Or or maybe you're the opposite of that. Maybe you are bringing in a good amount of money from from your job and there's this deeper sense of like, well, I worked for it and I earned it so I get to keep all of it. Regardless of what you're bringing into the room, God wants to speak to your heart this morning right where you're at on the topic of money, right where you're at on the topic of finances. And ironically, we're only talking about finances for a hot minute in this and then we're gonna move on to some other stuff too. But for those in the room who are like tempting yourselves right now to check out in this next 30 minutes, don't. Don't check out. Don't check out. This could change your life. The Word of God will change your life. It doesn't return void, right? It makes its way into our hearts and reforms us from the inside out. Amen? So keep your ears open. Keep your eyes open. Jesus' viewpoint is wild and radical and totally upside down, that you get more out of giving than you do receiving. This idea registers so slow 
if it registers at all. You know how I know? It's because when we all grew up, we would ask our friends at school, hey, what'd you get for Christmas? Hey, what, what'd you get? What did Santa bring you for Christmas? And that idea actually carried into adulthood, right? When your birthday happens, you're like, hey, what, uh, what'd, your spouse, what'd, you, what'd your spouse get you for your birthday? It's like, I just wanted a full night's rest. It's <laughs> all I wanted. <laughs> that question, that question of what did you get? What did you get? What did you get? It's so deeply like entrenched in the culture of like the world that we have been formed by. And we're always looking at advertisements and we're always figuring out what disposable income we have that we can spend on things that we really don't need or that will eventually break. And so we're accustomed to asking our friends at Christmas and our friends at birthday, hey, what'd you get for your birthday? Hey, what'd you get for Christmas? But in Jesus's viewpoint, it's better to be the giver than it is to be the receiver. That's like wildly upside down. And I'm currently on the journey of trying to believe that. So you are in good company if you're like, I don't know, man. I don't know if it's really better to be the giver than it is to be the receiver. Are you sure? Because it feels pretty good to unwrap Christmas presents. Stay with me. Stay with me this morning. What if the community of God in the kingdom of God was able to flip that question? Instead of what did you get, what if it was based on what did you give? What if every Christmas, what if every birthday, what if every time that we had the opportunity to be live in a posture of giving, there was just like this new normal that, God, that God's people would normalize? Hey, what'd you give for Christmas? Not as like a shaming question, but to celebrate the greater gift. Celebrating the greater gift means celebrating the giver's gift. And no one has given more and no one has sacrificed more, and no one has gifted more than your God. No one has thought up a gift so great than the gift of salvation. It is God who has been the greatest giver of all time in all history. There has been no one more generous than God. He has given us his son. He has given us the world to live in. He's given us the Holy Spirit to comfort us. He's given us the word of God to guide us. I mean, aren't you glad that God has given you everything you need for life and freedom in Jesus? There is nothing that won't come from the hand of your father that he wants to give you freely. And it's crazy that his view is that it's better to be the giver than it is to be the receiver. That is a wild, wild idea. The passages that support this kind of new paradigm seem to be endless. Look at first, rather, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Okay, let's keep, let's keep going. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. One person gives freely yet gains even more. How's that even possible? Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Again, 2 Corinthians 9, 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. 
Again, in Proverbs 22, 9, the generous will tell themselves, will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. The passages that support this new way of thinking, the scriptures that support this new paradigm that it's better to be in the position of the giver than it is to be in the position of the receiver. It's like God knew. He's like, oh, my, my resources are endless. It delights me to give to my children. It delights me. It thrills me to open up my hands to humanity and let the goodness flow. The gift of salvation, the gift of grace, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We could go on and on and on on what flows out of the Father's hands. It just it seems to have no limits. And all of these passages continue to support this new paradigm. And we've lived in the old paradigm. It's better to be the one that's unwrapping the presents rather than the one that's wrapping them. That's so boring. We love tearing into the gifts. And I'm using that metaphorically, not just presents, but we want to be the recipients of all things that are good and valuable. And in one sense, that kind of makes sense. Our humanity's wiring is hardwired to be in need of God and be in need of others. But when those needs are met, and when those wants are met, what is left? Well, we know that it's so easy to have a, a glutton spirit, to, to have a glut in your life that all of a sudden we have way more than we need. Sometimes we have more than we want. We call those garage sales. <laughs> In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, again, Paul is forming the mindset and the value system of this new micro-startup church plant in the city of Corinth. And we've talked about this now for weeks and how corrupt that city was and the pressures from the outside world coming in towards this new vulnerable, delicate church plant. And Paul's like, wait a second, I've, I've, I haven't been away that long. How is it floundering this bad? And so he writes them a couple of letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And I trust me, I was tempted to like, let's just have the next message series be 2 Corinthians, but we're going to move on to other things, however. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he talks very briefly in a very abbreviated way, which is interesting, about the Lord's collection. You see, he had to communicate something to this new church about what it meant to live financially obediently, to live in a posture of permanent posture of giving, a posture of I want to be in the, in the position of the giver rather than in the position of the receiver. And so he says this, starting in verse 1, chapter 16, it says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Like, can you imagine that's the way you start <laughs> the topic? Now about that collection, right, that you don't want to talk about. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do which is kind of a rude way of saying like, come on, like, you know, you know better, you know better. So the Lord's people is actually a reference to the Christians who are living in Jerusalem. And the mention of the churches in Galatia indicates that this collection was actually widespread and not isolated 
to the church in Corinth. So this was a thematic plea and call to any and all churches that have been planted in the new Mediterranean area that would eventually um, impact the whole world. We have those, those handful of, of startup churches in the Mediterranean to thank for the gospel making its way around the entire globe. And the Christians in Jerusalem may have become poverty-stricken because of the famine recorded in, a la- in Acts 11.28. There's a, a recording there that there was a famine. Or because of persecution of Jerusalem Christians, which is not the point of this morning's topic, but I am very aware of just what hell is happening on the other side of the world and what does that mean for Christians today. And, and perhaps we can get into that uh, soon, but that's not the topic of this morning. And for anyone who's got a burden trying to navigate, how do I think and, and, and act like a follower of Jesus in what seems to be this very confusing time on the other side of the world? with Israel and Palestine and trying to make sense of that whole thing. And I want you to know that like, although that's not the topic of this morning, I do believe that we have a part to play as Christians. We do have a part to play as Christians and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is key. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is is absolutely key to preserving the witness that we want other people to know about Jesus. And so I do plan working with the team and getting some, some advice on how, to, how we can respond as a community of believers about the just never-ending conflict around the whole world. And next year is going to be something else. And the next year is going to be something else. And so preserving a remnant community of people of God that, that, can, that follows the ways of Jesus, even when the world is falling apart around us. It's wild. Like what hope we have in Jesus as the world falls apart around us. And so there's more to come on on that. Verse 2. Verse 2 on the collection of the Lord's people. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Verse 3, then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me there. Okay, so the, the big idea that Paul is encouraging this new church with is right there in verse 2 when it says, you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So the big idea is that giving is an act of worship. Living in a posture of I'm the giver rather than the receiver is an act of worship. The word tithe, meaning tenth, that's an Old Testament principle carried over into the New Testament as Jesus is encouraging everybody, don't just give 10% out of obligation. Live in a posture of giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more beneficial for you. It's better for you to live in a perpetual state of I'm the giver, not the receiver. It's better. It's more beneficial. When we hear the word tenth, when we hear the word tithe, when we hear the word give, the question that typically comes up is, well, how much do I need to give away? How much do I need to give away? 
I just want to right now take this question and crumple it up like a piece of paper and just throw it in the basket and throw it away. Because this question is actually based on a scarcity mindset. The mindset of, I will never have enough. That's the mindset. The mindset is, no matter what I do, I will never have enough. A research group many years ago asked people of of different scales of wealth what they would need to feel financially secure. And every single one of them casted a large percentage above what they were making to feel financially secure. So we know right now that even if you were to bring in seven figures in your annual income, the Barna Research Group would say even the person bringing in seven figures needs a large percentage more than that to feel secure. The idea here is that you will never have enough if that is your mindset. It doesn't matter how much wealth you build. It doesn't matter how much money you bring in. It doesn't matter how many side hustles you start. If this is your mindset, you will never have enough. When Jesus takes the Old Testament principle of tithing and giving and sums it up in fresh language in the New Testament, says it's better to be the giver than it is to be the receiver, the paradigm, the question now changes. How much do I really need to keep? That's an entirely different question. This question is based on an abundance mindset. That in Christ, I got it all. In Jesus, I have everything that I need. And even if I'm living paycheck to paycheck, I still got income. Even if I'm going from paycheck to paycheck and every single dime is used on something in that two-week period, you still got income. God still got your back. How much do I really need to keep? The question goes back to the garage sale. (laughs) How much do we really need to keep? Because there's a big difference between how much we really need and how much we really want. And my plea to you this morning is to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, How much do I really need to keep? And give him the permission to answer that question for you. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Giving reluctantly just means that someone pressured you enough to give and that you are giving out of obligation. Don't do it. If you are giving out of obligation and your heart is not thrilled at the notion of giving, God is still working on your heart. God is still working on your spirit. I will say, though, there is something to just obeying the word of God to break a stronghold in your life. So if all you got is a penny to give, give that penny and allow God to anoint it and break open inside of you this stronghold that has that has strangled your spirit for so long. Each of us 
Each of us, is what the passage says, should give what we have decided in our hearts to give. This passage implies that something is given and assumes that you and God have met about it. When is the last time you had a financial meetup or meeting with God? When is the last time you and God sat down over coffee or over your favorite tea or whatever it is, your PSL, whatever the thing is, when is the last time you and God had a real conversation about money? A real conversation about what you're bringing in to your household and how you can live in a way that doesn't just obey him, but matures you into becoming the kind of person who lives in a perpetual position of being the giver rather than the receiver. Some of you right now should pause and begin these prayers deep down in your heart. Asking the Lord, this is the one thing, God, that I've never trusted you on. How can you help me become someone who trusts you in every aspect of my life, especially finances? It also says to not give under compulsion. So not giving from this place of like emotional non-thought. You haven't, you haven't thought about it. You're just like, ah, I'm just going to give, I'm just going to give, I'm just going to give. And all of a sudden you gave away your kids' college funds. Like, I don't know, was that wise? Probably not. Your kids are like, what the heck, right? God wants you to be cheerful, delighted at the opportunity to live in a posture of being the giver. It means that you have thought it out. It means that you have met with your spouse about it. It means that you have met with God about it. It means that you've planned it in your annual budget. It means that you've given this enough forethought and prayer that you are prepared to live as a person that gives, not just receives. Again, in the passage, you'll see in verse 3, then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. The big idea there is that giving is not just an act of worship, it's an act of witness. It is the kingdom of God that will ultimately fund God's work throughout the globe. And it's all his. There is no U-Haul behind the hearse that's taken you to heaven. You cannot take it with you. There is no credit cards in your pocket when you enter eternity. You cannot take anything that you build on earth with you into heaven. There's no amount of wealth. Even if you're like, bury me in my cash, like someone's going to dig it up. You cannot take it with you into eternity. It's an act of witness to the world, to the community around us, that we live so obediently and live in a posture of being the giver rather than the receiver. The world is like, what? Christians make no sense to someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. No sense. But when we live in a posture of giving, we witness to a God who has given more. We witness to a God who has loved more. We witness to a God who loves the lost and wants desperately to introduce himself to the world and bring all people into his care. It will be the Christians, it will be the kingdom of God that will bring about a culture of giving, a culture of living in the posture of giving. 
Matthew 6, 3 through 4 says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's two things in the Word of God that the power is predicated on its secrecy. It is fasting and it is giving. Those two things are powerful when they are done in secret. When they're done in secret. I've had people come up to me before and tell me about a church that they had uh, come from where beautiful things were happening, but they put on their walls of the inside of the church. They would profile people's headshots, and then they would celebrate the amount that that person was giving, creating a culture of shame for everyone who was not able to give something close to that. By God's grace, Mercy Road will never, ever use shame to motivate giving, ever. And if you have ever been shamed into giving, the enemy is playing with your soul. And I'm so sorry that that happened. But God wants something more for you, wants something beautiful for you. As you give, he wants to give, and he wants to give more. There's that principle again. We actually get more out of being the giver than being the receiver. There is a natural evolution of being the one who opens the presence to then becoming the one who wraps the presence. And some of us right now need to mature into becoming someone who wraps the presence. All three of my kids' birthdays are in cold months. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm a, the youngest of three. My wife's the oldest of four. And so when we have birthday parties for my kids, it's like, we don't even have to buy anything for my kids. Like, they all show up right? They all show up. And the most beautiful thing happens at Christmas time and birthdays. My grandmother, excuse me, not mine, but my wife's grandmother, she loves, she loves to get her grandchildren gifts for Christmas and for birthdays. But my grandmother is just like, you don't get to open them until I get to see your little facial expression when you open it. That's how you're giving back to me. And she's got her little camera and she's all ready to go. And it is awesome to sit back and watch my wife's grandmother give gifts to her grandkids and watch her face just light up. Just light up. I'm like, honey, did we even get your grandma anything for Christmas this year? Like, I can't remember. Becoming someone who matures out of being the one who opens the gifts to becoming someone who gives the gifts. Some of us are afraid, well, well, what if I'm forgotten about? Or or what what if this, what if it's not enough For me, when you live in a posture of being the giver, there's a smile on your face because you know that God is using you for something greater than just you. And you've opened yourself up. Luke 6.38 says, give, and it will be given to you. There's that principle again. It is better to be the giver than it is to be the receiver. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, run to starting to sound like a James Bond martini drink or whatever, but will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Give and it will be given to you. That is the most wild upside-down paradigm I think I've ever heard in my life. There is something about God's mysterious interplay with humanity that when we give 
and were cheerful and delighted at the opportunity to be in the posture of the giver. Not the receiver, but the, the giver. God's like, oh, you've opened yourself now up. I can give to you. You can't outgive God. You cannot outgenerous God. There's no amount of you giving yourself, your talent, your time, your energy, your, your finances, where God's like, wow, they really one-upped me, didn't they? No, you, you can't one-up God. What's the passage saying there? What's Luke saying there in the gospel? He's saying that close our hands to God, and God will close his hands to us. Not because he doesn't love us, but because he knows we don't trust him yet. We know we know when we don't trust God. We make fists. This is what we do when we don't trust God. We hold on to everything that we can with as much control as we can. And we say, no, God, no. You can have all, all of those other things, just not this, not this. And we make fists. And we close our hands to God. He's like, well, then you're not ready for me to give to you. You're just not there yet. You're on your journey, but you're not there today. But you could be a person that lives in a posture of being the giver rather than the receiver. Not because he doesn't love us, but because he loves us so much, he wants to keep giving to us. Which means the opposite is true. Open our hands to God, and God will open his hands to us. It's really that simple. This is one of those things in Scripture that's actually really simple to understand here, and really difficult to understand here. It's like, yeah, that makes sense, but it's way harder in practice. It's much more difficult to live. Sometimes when my children get really anxious, they want to go to bed because they're tired. My wife and I want to go to bed because we're tired. One of them is not quite ready to accept their plight in life that they have to go to bed now for eight hours. And so, you know, they'll lose it about something and they'll get concerned about something. Typically, my five-year-old will be really upset about, like, you know, she can't find one of her cuddlies or, or whatever, one of her stuffed animals. We've been doing this thing with our kids as we go to bed, trying to mitigate and soothe whatever anxiety is in their world, and we'll sing to them. And the go-to song that keeps coming up in my spirit, he's got the whole world in his hands, he's got the whole world. Would you join me? In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got your finances in his hands. He's got your future in his hands. He's got your bank account in his hands. And if you would just loosen your grip enough and allow him to manage and be the owner of all the things in your life that you are so anxious and concerned about, God will prove and show himself faithful. He does not make a promise he does not intend to fulfill. Some of you this morning need to make a massive step in your faith by simply trusting God that he actually has all things in his hands. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. 
Last year, we launched a, a campaign about this time as we looked forward to the end of the year. And we said, you know, what does God want to do in, our, in and through our community? We've got big, bold, fresh vision that we would have a thousand spirit-filled people by 2030. Spirit-filled meaning that you are you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're set free from the bondage of sin and you're constantly forming into the image of, of Jesus. And we believe our church is well-suited to add a thousand spirit-filled people to this state by, by 2030. So we said, well, how can we use the end of the year when people need to make end-of-year charitable contributions for tax purposes or just living from a generous uh, posture, a generous mindset? How much do I really need to keep? Remember that abundance mindset. And we wanted to do the same thing this year. Last year was beautiful. We casted a vision to raise $250,000 and we raised $380,000. Can you give God a shout of praise for his faithfulness? We casted vision for four major objectives. We wanted to invest in a shower trailer to meet the hygiene needs of, the, of those in our community who are experiencing and suffering homelessness. And we were able to invest in that and we've been able to use it quite a bit this summer and this fall. We also wanted to say we want to take better care of this property. So we wanted to update the windows with uh, fresh uh, rubber stuff from the seams. I don't know what it's called. And then the caulking, yeah. And then we also wanted to redo a little bit of the, the parking lot and fill potholes and, and do new blacktop and some new striping. We, we were able to fill that obligation. And the third uh, of the four, we wanted to introduce a, a fund for anyone in our community that is desiring to adopt but just didn't have the funds to complete the process. And we got that fund set up as well. Actually, we had someone last week express interest in that fund, praise God. So we're hoping that we can use those funds to help a family finish their adoption process, which is really cool. The, the fourth of the four total objectives we had last year, we're still actively working on, which we found to be very challenging because of zoning, but we're trying to integrate some kind of LED signage on this side of the build of this side of the facility that we can control messaging with. Like, hey, two Christmas Eve services at these times, you know, three Easter services at this time, you know, website, those kinds of generic messagings that we can control on a regular basis. And we're still hoping that we can get that done before the end of the year, but it'll be likely the first quarter of next year that we can finally finish that process. So we were able to fulfill three of those four objectives. This year when we began to pray and ask God, what do you want to do, God? How do you want to move in the community at Mercy Road Church Northwest? How do you want to leverage these incredible people with their full faith, with their full obedience? How could you use this church in the middle of year four, almost at the end of year four? What do you want to do in this next, in this next season? And as we sought him, as we prayed, as we, we thought about what God might want to do, the, the, the passage, Ephesians 3.20 came up. And it says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. We're like, whoa, what does that mean? What does that mean? And so what you'll see in the tucked away secretly, strategically in the seat back in front of you is a trifold. And that trifold will introduce to you the name of our campaign this year, which is called No Limits. So please take a second, grab out that campaign flyer, and I'm going to walk you through how we hope and pray God will use this church in the next season as we continue to march forward to a thousand spirit-filled people by 2030. We believe this is an important 
uh, thruster, an important rocket fuel that we want to pour onto this community, that we're hoping God will pour onto this community as we get closer and closer to 2030. As you see there, you'll see the front of the, the trifle. You'll see all these smiling faces and all these incredible people that have been part of this community now for the first four years. And we're not going to put any limits on what God can and wants to and will do in this community. And as you open it up there, you'll see that, that passage. You'll see that passage. And then you open it up completely and you'll see our total goal. Our total goal of being $777,000 that we believe that God can raise through this generous community uh, this year. And for those of you who are like, Luke, that's quite a bit more than last year. <laughs> for those of you who are number people are like, you mean you went from 250 to 777? Like, that's kind of a big jump. It's like, well, that's the idea is that you can't put limits on God, right? We, you just can't. We can't. We shouldn't put limits on God. This was not Pastor Luke's vision. This was not something specific to me. We as a board team worked on this for two, three months as we actively sought God and prayed through and got good counsel on what we could do as a church this year in 2023. The $777,000 is based on a paradigm, the paradigm of 50% of what comes in stays in, 50% of what comes in is allocated outside the walls. So we are not going to be the primary beneficiary of what comes in. This church wants to live in a posture of also being the giver and not just the receiver. We want to give back to the kingdom, to give back to missionaries, to give back to local ministries that share kingdom values. No limits on our reach. No limits on our ability to reach out to the community around us. We've based, on, we've based that on three things. We want to invest in interpretation gear for Spanish-speaking attendees. That we know our, our local context well enough that we know we can connect with those whose first language is Spanish. And so the idea for 2024 is that we'd pilot that for an entire year. We'd even try to integrate um, Spanish into some of our slides, our teaching, our worship on certain weekends. We're going to test a lot of things and try to figure out how we can better serve those in our community that speak um, uh, Spanish. We've got plenty of people in our church who are both fluent in English and in Spanish that are excited and could get involved in some of those efforts. This is a relatively low-cost, high-value, high-outcome investment. No limits on our reach. Updating our property signage. What we mean by that is integrating the word Northwest onto all of our physical signage to brand associate and brand differentiate with our family of churches, our association of churches. There's five Mercy Road churches and to have brand affiliation and brand differentiation is, is key as, as we move forward towards 2030. So we're integrate the word Northwest into all of our physical outside signage as well as our um, pylon and our memorial signage as well. Now, this is going to get some of you excited about the kitchen. We're going to upgrade our kitchen to serve others better. For those of you who are just like, you know, serve on the fellowship team, you're like, you got to be kidding me. I'm using a, this is not commercial grade. Come on. Um, we're going to upgrade <laughs> the kitchen. We want to upgrade the kitchen. We want to get cabinets in there. We want to get another stove. We want to get a dishwasher. Praise Jesus for dishwashers. Like, we want to get some of that because we believe in our church's ability to be hospitable. That's the idea. The idea is that we believe this church is a very hospitable church and we want to continue to facilitate hospitality at every level. 
No limits on our church stability. This is really fun for the right persons in the room, but allocating funds to ensure the long-term financial stability of our church. Essentially having a savings that is commensurate with the age and season of our church. We think that's really important going forward. And this is where the paradigm shifts now to outside the walls. That our generosity, there would be no limits there. 50% of all funds received through our No Limits campaign would go back outside our walls to support the following. Designing and building a pavilion and playground on our property for our community. Like, wait a second, Luke. Are you saying that's an outside-the-walls item? The church would own that. Well, the shower trailer is an outside-the-walls item. The church owns that. It's all about percentage of use. The idea of having a playground in a pavilion is taking the playground and making it and registering it as a public park so that our community knows that there is a safe place to take your kids and play. There's a safe place for mothers, for fathers, for aunts, for uncles to bring their children, to bring their nieces and nephews, to hang out in a safe environment around a church that loves them. The idea is that the church would use the playground and pavilion the least that we would definitely utilize it. We'd use it for big old barbecues. We'd use it for VBS. We'd use it as much as we can, but its primary purpose would to be used for the community. We're trying to get creative on how we'd brand it so that off the highway it could say something that would send a message that like, oh, I can take my kids there. and We're going to have a fence around it. And you can see there some of the pictures that emphasis on the, those are just ideas and not actual renderings. This is where everyone's opinion comes and they're like, we should do it like this. We should do it like that. Like these are just ideas to give you an idea of what we could do on the east side of the property in 2024. The team is very excited about this. You got kids? You should be very excited about this because now you've got a free, safe place to bring your children to hang out. No limits on our generosity that also creating a fund to support people outside our walls. We've got many outside the walls partners that are in need of additional funding. We want to increase that funding for them. We want to help other ministries succeed and thrive. And we want to introduce new outside the walls partners as the years go on. So having a funding, having a fund for additional outside the walls partners is a good thing because we've increased it uh, by a couple this year. We've got a couple new outside the walls partners. And we want to keep bringing uh, more partners into this family's relationships. And finally, creating a fund to support future church planting. We want to always be a church planting church. One of the best pieces of advice I have ever listened to in my life is that never stop thinking like a church planter. Never stop thinking like a church plant. Always behave like a church plant. Keeping things scrappy and fun and fresh that we would never depend on our deep bank account, but we'd always depend on the living, breathing God who makes all things possible, who has no limits. And so for some of you this morning, you're going to have to talk with your wife, your husband, your family. What could we do this year? What could we contribute this year? If we were to raise all $777,000 this year, 50 of that would be inside the walls and 50% would be outside the walls. The idea here, the goal here is 100% participation. If you have a dollar that you can give towards this campaign, give a dollar towards this campaign. The idea is that 100% of us would participate in it. But there are others of you, there are others of you that need to take a season, need to take a week or two or a month 
and think about and pray through how you could be involved in this great effort, this wonderful milestone of our church. So my prayer to you this morning is that you have made a transition out of living as the one who receives and opens the gifts to someone who lives as a giver and gives them, who lives in the posture of giving. And when you do, you will discover that God wants to give to you. Give, and it will be given to you. It's better for you. It's more beneficial for you to live as a, po- as a person who lives in a posture of giving. I don't know who in this room needs to make that transition this morning, but I am more than glad to help you with your next step. I'm super passionate about this because I've seen people break out of this stronghold time and time again. I would love to meet you in the prayer room during these last two songs. I would love to pray for you. I'd love to pray through and help you ID next steps for your journey as being a giver. And and as we do, as we sing these last songs, I just want to close with this prayer, a prayer for you to see how God is ultimately the the most generous, the the one who gives. And that as you open your hands to him, he will open his hands to you. So would you just do this? Would you just open your hands right now? Just where you're at? God, this is what we want. We want to be people of open hands. I know there's a lot of us in this room right now that are living with closed fists because we don't trust you yet. And so Father, would you help us trust you? It's tough. It's hard. Everyone in this room is in good company, but many of us need to repent and just begin trusting you with every aspect of our lives. And so God, if we have closed fists this morning, would you just give us the courage to open our palms to you? And as we do, would we receive more of you, more of your presence, more of your power, more of your breakthrough, more of your comfort, more of your support, more fulfilled promises, We know you want to give everything you've got to give to us. But sometimes we don't live in a way that we can even receive you. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would have the courage to grow and mature into the kind of followers that can be givers with open hands. And then we discover that we are receivers from you. That is our prayer. We need your Holy Spirit to make this effective. I pray for anyone here this morning that is trapped by the chains of this topic. Would your Holy Spirit shatter those chains in Jesus' name? May there be a new future for that person where they would run in paths of holiness and righteousness and obedience because this chain is finally broken in Jesus' name. May that person experience that freedom today. So God, our hands are open. We want to be givers and we're ready to receive from you. In Jesus' name.